This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon. I am here with Chris Matakis. Chris Matakis is a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Ricardo Almeida in New Jersey. Uh, he is an 11-time author of incredible jiu-jitsu books that I have read many of and I'm really excited to explore. He's a high-performance coach. He's a podcast host and, uh, and a really interesting and deep thinker. And Chris, extremely grateful to have you on the podcast. Very nice to meet you. Jordan, great to meet you, man. Very happy to be here. Yeah. So Chris, why books? You know, let's, <laughs> let's just get right into this. Who writes 11 books? Why books? I think that you write a book to solve a problem. And for me, thinking is very difficult, but I use writing to think externally. It's a way of just organizing ideas and trying to understand what it is you are trying to solve and your best attempt at doing so. So for me, like the only way to think is to write. So that's just why I keep writing is I keep thinking. Yeah. Books are such an important part of my life. And I was a terrible reader when I was growing up. I had a very hard time reading in college. And when I started running businesses and getting a little bit of success, my natural talent only took me so far. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that natural talent ran out, I said, I better go find the answers to these questions. I don't know. I don't know what people, people are asking me questions. I don't know the answers to them. And I found so much comfort in books yeah. because all these leaders and generals and um, presidents, they were just, they were so candid in these books. I couldn't believe what the knowledge they were giving out. You know, it's like you, almost the secret recipe. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I kind of view it as like each book is a new pair of glasses and you're going to need that specific pair when you look at a specific problem. So for me, it's like I want to get as many different pairs of glasses as possible so I can cycle through them whenever a problem presents itself. Yeah. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Uh, you're from New Jersey, is that correct? Yes, sir. I actually grew up like two miles from Professor Almeida's first school, which was just complete happenstance, blind luck. And uh, I graduated college and a week later took my intro class. Uh, mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't know who Professor Almeida was. I heard of jujitsu. I figured I'd give it a shot. And uh, just, you know, the fortune to stumble into one of the greatest instructors of all time and have him become your mentor. It was just an absolute blessing. So uh, it was my 20s. Dude, yeah. all I did was jujitsu in my 20s. Like I stayed in friends' houses, renting spare bedrooms, like sleeping on couches and mattresses on floors. And I just trained and read. And that was all I did for a decade. And uh, it was time well spent. And then uh, four years ago, I opened up my own jujitsu academy uh, in Florence, New Jersey. And uh, that has been an absolute joy to get to share jujitsu with others. Yeah, it's a beautiful academy for those of you who are listening along. Um, you can find Chris's academy on Instagram or a website or whatever. But it's you have a beautiful aesthetic there. I really think it's it looks like a calming place. I really would like to come visit one day, dude. I would love that. You are always yeah. welcome. I appreciate it. I tend to be a minimalist and probably to a fault. Uh, we're actually we're expanding in like two or three weeks, so we're gonna upgrade a little bit. So mm -hmm. I'm going to walk that fine line of being a minimalist, but still having something on the walls. Yeah. Well, when Professor Almeida was on this podcast, you actually got a shout out now that I'm thinking about it. You were one of the oh. people that we, we discussed. And one of the things we were talking about was, you know, what is in the water in between Philadelphia and New York? You know, yeah. when people think about New Jersey, they often, it's like kind of like, you know, it's sometimes a joke, 
but you know, they, they get shit on a lot. But the simple fact is, is that some of the best jujitsu in the whole entire world is right in between Philadelphia and New York. And Professor Almeida told me, he said that was intentional when he was thinking about opening his gym. He wanted to be smack in the middle of this, you know, mega metropolis. Dude, and he did it. Like, I remember this would have been around 2010, 2011, 2012. That MMA room, all the guys from Henzo's came down to South Broad Street on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Everyone else traveled, like, to Mecca. And we would be in a room that we had no business being in because there would be, like, 20 UFC fighters in there. And we were just barely hanging on. But to have access to those kind of people, it's such a blessing. Yeah, it really is. And you're, uh, you've are you been a longtime teammate of guys like Frankie Edgar, yeah. right? And uh, I know that he supported you. So Ooh, it's can I share yeah. a Frankie Edgar story? Sure. Dude, this is my favorite Frankie Edgar story. So after he beat BJ Penn, you know how guys are like in a training camp and they're training like lunatics, hyper-specific. And then after the fight, you get a break. You know, you, yeah. you, you work on different skills, that kind of thing. So we always had our pro jujitsu practice on Fridays. And then that was kind of like the end of the week for the MMA guys. And then Saturday was like a regular gi class. So Frankie had just beat BJ Penn. He was UFC champion. And he's going to come take a gi class tomorrow on a Saturday morning. And like that doesn't happen, you know? So we were all excited. And I remember he told Professor Almeida. And Professor said, okay, we have fundamentals at 9 and advanced at 10. I'll see you at 10. And then Frankie Edgar UFC champion asks, should I come to the fundamentals gi class too? Like just that humility that sums him up. And yeah. he's just, he's an exceptional archetypal person. And I'm very grateful for our time together. Yeah. He's uh well, if you listen to his podcast ever or or followed his career, he's just a, a really special person, special yeah. human, a, lo a lot of connections. I've, I've never met him, but uh, through this whole New York, New Jersey jujitsu scene, so many overlapping, uh, overlapping, you know, uh, relationships and, and people. And so looking forward to for meeting Frankie one day. So, um, you know, I recall this very, very clearly. It was about a year ago, January 2021. I was coming out of COVID. You know, the, the crazy, crazy year of 2020, my wife and I went away. It was the first time we went away. She was pregnant. We went down to Mexico okay. and, uh, I downloaded a couple of your books onto my Kindle and the whole trip, I was just locked in <laughs> page, turning, 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 turning on Chris Matakis's book. And I was just, oh, my wife, I was, you know, dropping quotes and it just really, I, I can't tell all the listeners and viewers out there, you know, most of whom do jujitsu, you have to pick up Chris, Chris's books if you haven't done it already. But one of the things that you even bring up, and I'm going off memory here because it's been, been a good year, but your first book was very much a white belt version of yourself, right? Dude, I appreciate that. Yeah. And as I'm reading, because I, you know, I think I blasted through your first three and I got into your fourth book on that trip and I finished a few since you watch your writing progression, your technique, the sharpening of the saw of your writing skills like happen in real time. Not that it was bad writing. I loved every second of your first book, but it was just this, you know, um, it, very similar to the principles of which I'm writing about in my project of how mm -hmm. jujitsu helped my business. So I'm interested yes. to hear right from you how business, how, how the principles of jujitsu helped your writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at its root, Jiu-Jitsu fundamentally teaches us how to respond to resistance in the most productive way. 
And the thing about jujitsu is you have unlimited reps at doing that. Every time we go train, there are just countless opportunities to fail, integrate the lesson, go pursue the difficult task. And I think if you do that long enough on the mat, you can't not interact that way in the world. And I, I you know, I'm a huge uh, Carl Young, Jordan Peterson guy, and they talk a lot about this idea that you need to be an apprentice. You really, you have to pursue apprenticeship because it removes the inessentials of your character, of your capacity, and it strengthens you into an individual capable of doing something. Mm -hmm. But when you go through that apprenticeship, whatever that domain was, you come out on the other side with transdisciplinary skill. Yeah. You're able to take the constituent elements of success in that domain and apply them everywhere else. And for me, I just watched how like, all of my teammates, the better we got at jujitsu, the better we got at business, the better we got at writing, the better we got at, at being husbands and boyfriends, because the same fundamental skill is trained. And that's the, the voluntarily doing the difficult thing on behalf of a perceived better. Mm -hmm. Do you find that one of the reasons why jujitsu versus some of the other disciplines is because it's just so explicit? Like, the losing, the failing, like in business, for example, yeah. you could be, have a successful business career. You could become rich mm -hmm. and still be an asshole, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you could, you could be, you could make it very far in the business world and and not develop this kind of attitude, this jujitsu attitude. Mm -hmm. But it's hard and not impossible because there are some jujitsu assholes. <laughs> but but in jujitsu, very very widely, the, the principle that you just described of fail get better, repeat, yeah. um, is, is omnipresent, you know, no matter where you go in the world. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what is it about? Like, what is it about jujitsu that really, is it just that the failing, the tapping, what's your observations? I feel like exceptional people are attracted to infinite pursuits. Like what are the things that you can't master? And they're the things I want to go pursue, right? Because the better you get, the greater your potential increases. And it's that idea that, you know, as the shoreline of knowledge grows, so does, or as the island of knowledge grows, so does the shoreline of ignorance. And mm. to me, dude, that's super exciting because it means you are never going to run out of fascinating things to learn. And if you think of 100 people walking to a jiu-jitsu academy, I don't know the stats around the globe, but maybe what? Maybe 20 become blue belts, a couple become purple belts. And the ones that stay are the people who have the humility to fail on a regular basis. And I love people who fail on a regular basis because we don't think that highly of ourselves. We, especially you mentioned, you know, like, there are some assholes that make it through, but for the most part, to achieve a black belt in jujitsu, you have failed so many times. All those chips on your folder or on your shoulder, rather, just got kind of fallen off along the way because it's really hard to bring them with you through all those failures. And I think that's kind of the foundation is that jujitsu academies are filled with exceptional people who voluntarily put themselves in positions where they're weak so they can acquire strength. And I just don't see that in like daily life. Yeah, it's very difficult to go in and seek it out. Uh, the dynamics that exist inside of companies um, are very difficult to teach in school. And even when they do try to teach these things in coursework, it's it doesn't 
it doesn't ring as true as when, when you've lived it. You know, I, I always kind of fall back. If you've ever read the book, uh, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. I think that that book kind of illustrates it better than any other book or course or anything I've ever seen. Um, emo you know, emotional intelligence, dealing with people in jujitsu. If you're the smelly guy, if you're the, <laughs> if you're the, if you're the bully, if you're, if you're the one that has a reputation for hurting people, like it's so explicit, right? Yeah. Um, in a corporate environment, in a big company, you, you don't really get, I mean, these things are understood, but mm -hmm. they're, they're, it's, it's not, it's implicit, you know, that it is existing without, you know, kind of the structure typically in order to deal with it and get better. And so that's why like entrepreneurship to me is so similar to jujitsu. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of people start businesses, but as you go down, it funnels, the funnel keeps getting thinner and thinner and thinner. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you named Jordan Peterson. You mentioned, uh, who was the second gentleman you mentioned? Carl Young. Carl Young. Yeah. Uh, I know you're also a fan from your podcast of uh, Naval. Yeah. He's yeah. awesome. Oh my God. That guy's great. Who are some of your other influences, either jujitsu or, or in writing? In writing, Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing. And bro, like I can't read fiction. I don't have the capacity for it. I'm not patient enough. But he wrote a book on writing, which for me is like the Bible about writing. And I probably read it every six months or so. Mm -hmm. So he was a big influence. Uh, Carl Jung, Jordan Peterson, and Joseph Campbell have been the big ones because mm -hmm. I've become obsessed with this idea of the hero's journey. I just think really understanding that idea. It's the best pathway through life. And all the stories, all the religions are trying to convey this wisdom. And yes. to use your words, until we make it explicit, yeah. we miss out on the opportunity of integrating those lessons. So I would say really it's been Peterson, Young, and Campbell centered around the hero's journey. That's been the last like four years of my life. What about you? What's impacting you? Um, the most impactful books to me have been biographies. Okay. Uh, biographies of people who have dealt with great struggles. So Grant and Churchill. Um, uh, more recently, I, I was really fascinated with books of like the most recent, like Iraq, Afghanistan war. So like books mm -hmm. about from Navy SEALs. Uh, Jim Mattis just wrote a book. Um, so I just, I love the, I love books that describe really challenging problems what it was like to be in a bunker in World War II with bombs dropping and having to make decisions on behalf of like millions of people's lives, yeah. um, being in the Civil War and, you know, devising battlefield strategy. Like those to me, not that, you know, what I do is anywhere doesn't hold a candle to those things, except when I'm when I'm have to make a decision on behalf of my, you know, I have hundreds of employees at my at my clothing business. I'm in the I'm in the fashion retail business. I have 12 stores an e-commerce website. And during COVID, if I didn't make the right decision, the company was out of business. 600,000 businesses folded during COVID. Yeah. So I had people relying on me for their rent, their mortgages, their food, their car payments. And if I made the wrong decision, then it goes out. And so you can feel just as lonely as JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I've gone and read books, like, for example, I think in the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, he goes into this, these moments that JFK was going through. Yeah. And I just found so much comfort in these stories that you're not alone. 
because when you are going, when, when you're in a position of leadership, you can't talk to no one else understands what you're going through mm -hmm. that you're leading. Yeah. And nor, and very often, if you do try to talk to them, it's alienating. Yes. Yeah. And so, and so books are like my friends, you know, some of my greatest mentors have been dead for hundreds or even thousands of years, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius and, and Lincoln. Yep. And it sounds, you know, it's it, people who get this, like yourself, who love books, you get it. But mm -hmm. people who, who haven't um, had to lean on these, these figures as, as much, it can sound pretentious. It can sound, um, like I said, alienating to some of the people. But for mm -hmm. me, it's, it's been one of my secret weapons to success. Yes. Yeah. And dude, for me, it's the part of my day I look forward to the most. Like I protect that reading time. It's every morning with my coffee before I start all of the various projects and it's sacred time. It, like right now I'm going through Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning again, and it is a suffer fest, but it is an absolute joy. And dude, it's the hardest part of my day, that hour. Like it's the most intellectually draining, but I get so much of it and I can't imagine confronting life without these tools. Like, dude, you mentioned the obstacles, the way, bro, two, no, three years ago now, I tore both pecs and mm -hmm. I was in two slings for four months. My wife did everything for me. She was an absolute godsend. And my only respite was I would put on the audiobook, the obstacles, the way, and just walk through the neighborhood over and <laughs> over two slings. Oh my goodness. It was enough. Like that was that from, were you yeah. lifting? The first one was I tore my one pec lifting and then I'm an idiot. I kept going. I trained like a week later and over yeah. time, years later, Ooh. the one kept tearing until ultimately the other tore, you know, and compensating for it. And then, uh, dude, right there. So what a perfect allegory to business. Like if you ignore the whispers, they become <laughs> the screams. And yeah. I'm hoping I learned that lesson, but time will tell. Well, on the note of learning your lesson and omens and uh, and the hero's journey, have you read the book The Alchemist by Pablo Coelho? Yeah, yeah. dude. What, what was it? A uh, Maktub? It is Maktub. Written. Yeah, Maktub. that is it. My my wife has Maktub tattooed on her on her ribs. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, good memory. Good, very. Yeah, good. yeah I, I love I love that book. My wife introduced me to that book when we met, and uh, I've read it. I have to say close to a hundred times, but I listen when, before I go to sleep every night, we listen to it to go to sleep, you know, put on 20 minute timer on audible and just play it and, and doze off to bed. But that book is it's all about, you know, pursuing the hero's journey and your personal legend. That was my first LLC. Uh, before I started teaching jujitsu full time, I was a strength coach and they would only pay me if I was like a private contractor. So my LLC was personal legend exploration. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. So, so you get it. <laughs> so um, writing, I mean, Paulo Coelho, I think he only writes a book every like two years when he finds a certain kind of feather. Hmm. That's ridiculous, but it's working for him so far. Yeah. So what, what are the kind of things that continue to inspire you? I mean, I, I, well, I even know the answer to some of that because some of your writing has been influenced by what you're reading, like uh, Jordan Peterson's the 12 rules you, you wrote a book about I think the 12 rules of jujitsu and, yeah. you, and Ryan holiday wrote, um, the daily stoic and you wrote the daily martial artist, by the way, highly recommend everybody pick up the daily martial artist. I have a copy. I sent it to Chris in advance of this interview. I, I have it right next to my fireplace. I, I picked that thing up constantly and I just read a page. 
That's awesome. I yeah, appreciate so that. What what are what are kind of the, some of the things that are inspiring you to write now? So when I mentioned earlier that like I'm really becoming obsessed about this hero's journey idea, like dude, I, I'm obsessed about it. So yeah. Carl Jung had this idea that people don't have ideas; ideas have people, hmm. and that has really hit home for me because this hero's journey, this hero's archetype, essentially what it's saying, it's like there is no guarantee of success, but if you engage in the behavior process of admitting your ignorance and voluntarily pursuing difficult things on behalf of progress, mm. it's your best chance of success. And I am very big on Carl Jung's idea that what we all really seek is wholeness. Like we think we want perfection, but he said like prior to perfection, you must be complete. So if you just pursue being complete, that's going to give you a lifetime's worth of work. Yeah. So I'm trying to simplify things of like, okay, what is the best behavior pattern in pursuit of that completeness to be the best husband, to be best in my health, in my business, in my passions, everywhere else. And it just turns out that it's the same process through all of them. It's embodying that archetypal hero. So mm. I'm really trying to understand this. And then more specifically, I want to translate it because Dude, you can't read Carl Jung. It's impossible. It takes forever and maps a meaning. Like it, it's a struggle. So yeah. I kind of want to take these ideas and make them more accessible so we can all apply them. And I think to the degree that we do, our life improves. So, mm. bro, it's been the hero's journey. That, that's that's really <laughs> you're, you're on you're on your own hero's journey. It's really it's really interesting. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk about this. Uh, I'm I'm struck by you know these ancient ideas like none of the ideas of Carl Jung or Jordan Peterson are new ideas or Ryan Holiday for that matter these are these are ancient ancient ideas and the ideas of philosophy of stoicism of oneness like they predate um, the invention of writing and and <laughs> yeah. they were passed down from uh, you know prior generations of humans that were living like the identical kind of life experiences that we are living today. And one of the things about reading philosophy is like you, you just how modern they were as thinkers. You know, yes. they were very modern thinkers, even though they didn't have the technology that we have. They, a person living 2000 or 5,000 years ago was just as modern in their, in their, you know, the depth of thinking. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, like what, how are your ideas advancing on this subject? You know, like what kind of ideas are you, are you drawing comparisons to like daily life? Like how to live a better life today? Like, where do you see this? You know, how do you reconcile these two? Yeah. So I think if you view ideas through a Darwinian lens as really like an evolutionary tool to continue, the ideas that work continue and the ideas that didn't don't. And when you... Peterson has this incredible codification of he breaks reality down into seven constituent elements. There's the knower, the known, the unknown, and there's a positive and negative aspect of both. And all of that exists within that primordial dragon of chaos, which is actually your logo, which is freaking fantastic. <laughs> and within that, I find it so useful because we're always the individual protected in our known, in our systems, in our culture, which protects us from the chaotic unknown, which is both, you know, offers creation and new ideas and new technologies, but it's also destructive. And I think that's why you read a Seneca or a Marcus Aurelius, and it feels like it was written today because they're still confronting the same unknown. 
and they're still supported mm-hmm. by the same known. Now those things change. Like our houses are different. Our means of transportation are different. Um, everything is different, but the meta principle of I'm the knower and I am going off into the unknown in search of benevolence to take a new idea and expand my known, that process doesn't change, even though the mechanisms by which you do it will change. So mm-hmm. for me, I feel like when you read something that is a Marcus Aurelius who writes a journal to himself and it, deri- it, it directly applies to our lives today, I think it is a sign of the validity of the ideas that they hold true across time. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. Well answered. As you have these ideas, uh, one of the things in jujitsu that has been one of my observations that how it helped me in business was that it gave me a technical approach for getting better at things. So as you, as I was trying to get better at business, you know, I started off being better at business than jujitsu. I started, and then at some (laughs) point, you know, it goes back and forth, but the technical approach sent me on this journey of learning and trying to improve and how to journal and how to do these things. So as you have these ideas that you just described to me and articulated so well, do you have any like technical systems that you use to write, to notate, to journal? What are some of the, how are you, how are you recalling this information? Like at, at the, at your fingertips? Yeah. I really like Microsoft OneNote, mm. but I also really don't like screens. So I tend to have, I always got just like you, I got one of these guys with me and I actually just had a breakthrough in my own practice because I love hiking, but I, I, that's when ideas come to you, right? When you get quiet, you download them, but I don't want to have my phone on me when I'm hiking. So I just got mm. these little notebooks that can fit in my pocket and just pull out and write. So my system tends to be, I write it on paper and then I take all the paper and I put it into one note. And then I see what those ideas are. And then I turn those into a blog, a book, whatever it might be. So I go from lack of technology to more technology along the way. Yeah, that's a a great system. I'm always so interested in people's systems, hacks, things that they do, you know, constantly improving them. My my little version of what you just described, because I drive a lot. I've been a commuter my whole career. Mm -hmm. I'll be listening to a book on tape, Audible or a podcast, and an idea will strike me. So I'll just pull out my phone and hit the voice note and then I'll just start talking. Nice. And my library of voice notes over the years is just crazy. And I, sometimes I go back and listen to them and I've forgotten. And then as it goes into the idea, it's like, Oh my goodness. I, and, and you know, my new book that I'm writing is informed by a lot of these voice notes. A lot of the content is directly going to be derived from these conversations I was having with myself during COVID. You know, the narrative of of my book business jujitsu is going to be about um, COVID and then all the decision making and you know how jujitsu helped me with all that decision making. So anyway, uh, enough about me. I'm very interested to hear about your new book. Yeah, dude, I appreciate it. So uh, we've while, already talked about it. Yeah. While you while you talk, I'm just going to share my screen for a moment and share some of your books. So sure, dude, appreciate it. So the new one is called Jujitsu and Resistance: An Antidote to Modern Struggle. And you know, we talked about why do I keep writing these books? Well, I'm kind of following that like circumambulating process of getting to the, the crux of the matter. And I really do believe that the thing that makes you successful in jujitsu is that which makes you successful in life. And it is this, this response to resistance where it's not an enemy. It's actually an indication of the path. Like mm-hmm. if you were experiencing resistance, that's why I love the, the hero's journey idea, because there's this idea from Joseph Campbell's work about this old story where all the knights go off into the forest 
but they split up when they get there. And each one goes into the forest where it's darkest to him. Mm-hmm. Because if you're on a path, you're on someone else's path. But the whole point is to create your own path. And if you're doing that, you're the tip of the spear, which means you're leading the way, but it also means you have no idea what you're doing. So all these books have been sort of like a circling in on this fundamental idea that I think the reason why jujitsu makes us better husbands, better businessmen, all of these things is because of the behavior process we train on the mat, which invariably bleeds into the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. I kind of took a reference to Stephen Pressfield, who, dude, his mm-hmm. books about the creative work, incredible. Oh, my goodness. That is has to be one of the best books, you know, for yeah. the just just about getting things done. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, that war of art. War of art. <sighs> That's where I got the resistance term from. Because and yes. I, I kind of took it one step further, at least in my own eyes, because it was no resistance isn't an enemy. It's your friend. It, it is this experience of meaningful engagement is telling you what it is you're supposed to become. So I like viewing it again through that lens of the hero where everyone wants the gold, but we're hesitant to fight dragons. Hmm but you don't get gold without first going through the dragon. So what if rather than complaining and feeling bad for ourselves that we have these dragons we have to slay, what if we saw them as a precursor to the gold and they're actually the same thing? It's just dragon hyphen gold. And it removes all that internal resistance. So now you have all of your capacity to confront the external resistance in the most productive way. And I talk about that through jujitsu as well as through life in general in this book. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me that you, that you don't love fiction, yeah. but you're still so, you know, enamored by the, the concept of the hero's journey. Not that you have to have, have to have both, but, um, you know, story and anecdote is such a great use to, to tell the story of, of the yes. hero's journey. So maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll develop, start to develop a new, uh, appreciation as you, uh, as you go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Dude, I hope so. And I mean, we use stories to convey wisdom, right? And yeah. the interesting thing is we use stories to convey successful patterns of adaptation before yeah. they're explicit, while they're implicit. And yeah. then the philosophers stand on that foundation down the road, look backwards and say, oh, this yeah. is all the things we were doing. Yeah. And, well, I, I'd like to point you, I had a, a guest on the podcast, another Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. His name is Alexander Darwin, and he's written a series of books called The Combat Codes. Okay. And they are a um, fantasy novels, but through the lens of mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu. And it's hyper-realistic explanation of jiu-jitsu with storytelling about the hero's journey. And they're very... Very good read. So I, I, I would just want to promote him a little bit because he's, yeah. a, he's a great guy. He's getting a lot of traction on his projects. Awesome. Um, so that's that, that might be a good, one, a good one for you to check out. It's called The Combat Codes. I'll, I'll shoot it to you after this. But Please uh, do. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, in addition to your writing, you're also a coach, not just a jiu-jitsu coach, but you're a performance coach. Yes. Um, would you mind giving us – giving us a high level on what it is that you do as a coach jujitsu and also performance. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I'd love to understand like how, when you've been the mentee, you know, whether it's Ricardo or, or anyone else has been influential in your life. Yeah. So on the performance side, I really enjoy that. Like the thing that most attracted me to jujitsu was that 
this was a problem worth solving. And I'm going to, I want to figure this thing out. And that's what attracted me to psychology because that's definitely the problem worth solving, you know? And it's interesting. People come to me for various reasons, which is why I enjoy it so much because every client is different, but it always stems around a couple things. It's either they are somewhere and they want to go somewhere else and we figure out the path to get there all the while removing the subconscious patterns that are impeding that path Mm. or something traumatic has happened in their life and they don't know where they are. And if you don't know where you are, you can't get to somewhere else. So we sort of break down and understand what it is they're experiencing now to create a more compelling future. But on the whole, it's so funny, dude, it always comes back to the hero's journey because whatever it is you're trying to do, we, I help people embody that behavior process that leads to maximal success. And part of that is becoming more conscious. I mean, we are generally on autopilot, you know, and we're navigating unconsciously most of the time in a skillful manner. But to the degree that you are not present, you don't have all of your faculties to present to whatever it is you are trying to solve, fix, win in this moment. So I like helping people become more present and removing the thought patterns that are impeding that presence that are impeding their success in whatever endeavor it is. And jujitsu, dude, jujitsu is the easy part. I don't do much. Jujitsu does all the heavy lifting. I, I kind of view it as like the three components of religion where there's the teacher, the teaching and the students. Mm. Jiu-jitsu is the same way. And the, the teaching is sound. I, I'm just the vessel for the teaching and it does all the work for the students. So I, I believe my primary goal is to create an environment in which people from all walks of life can come together and use this vehicle for personal development, pursuing different goals simultaneously. And if we get the culture right, jujitsu will take care of the rest. Yeah. Jujitsu is very powerful, extremely, extremely powerful. Yeah. And uh, I, I love it as a, as a metaphor for the, all these things in life, which is why I love your, your angle um, now are all, are all of your performance students in the jujitsu world or mostly that's where it started out. Most yeah. were in the beginning because the only way people kind of came across it was through the books. Hmm. And, uh, over time now it, it's more jujitsu people, but not all, which is cool because I find that when I work with clients who are heavily influenced by jujitsu, there's no language barrier. We share the same language where we can use jujitsu to solve problems in the psyche. And that is a beautiful thing because yeah. uh, the metaphors just work. And I appreciate when I get to work with clients who are not in the jujitsu space, who maybe haven't read these books, where you can really, you can download a new framework into them. It's like, dude, remember in the Matrix when Neo gets plugged in and he's like, I know jujitsu. Or what was it? Kung Fu? <laughs> I know Kung Fu. I think he even said jujitsu, did he? Jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you get to do that with people because changes in the material world in the body, they take a lot of time. Like if you want to put on 10 pounds of muscle, work hard for a year and we'll touch base next December. But in the immaterial, in the psyche, you can create changes in a moment. And the feeling that I still feel, but that meant a lot to me in the beginning when you would be teaching a white belt and they would have a breakthrough and you see that light bulb go off, that that's incredibly meaningful. But for me now, when I can help someone get that light bulb in their marriage or in accordance with their soul, there's nothing more rewarding than that. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. I love what you said about language as it relates to that. 
Um, John Donahue had the same observation on this podcast. It was a big topic of conversation. It was that language is a human superpower yes. and the ability to master language and have a common vernacular is something that is so powerful for the coach student relationship. You have to understand each other, you don't have to get each other. And that is something that is, I don't get to do that in my business life, you know, because virtually nobody that I do business with trains jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. But my own understanding of jujitsu helped me so much with my own business life that I love talking to people like you about it, who it's impacted <laughs> your life and impacted other people's lives. And, you know, the book that I'm writing, and you've written many books for the jujitsu audience. It's a niche within a niche, maybe within a niche, right? You know, <laughs> we're in the martial art, we're jujitsu in the martial arts, in like the fighting kind of category. Mm -hmm. So you're speaking to a very defined audience. But the thing that I love about the audience is it is like every race, every religion, every mm -hmm. socioeconomic status. But like once you have that common thread on the language and the understanding, yes, you really can can get each other and affect change. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so cool that you're doing that. And I think we're able to have a much deeper relationship to the readers, to the listeners, because we have so much shared knowledge that we bring to the conversation. And that's what I think a book is. Like I think a book is a conversation. It's not yeah. just one way, right? You're interacting with the page. Yeah. And we're able to use our shared experiences on the mat. And then, dude, like you and I, we've read a lot of the same books. Like I just met you. But I feel like I know you because we have so much shared understanding and we can have meaningful engagement. And yeah, as you tend to go further down these roads, there's less and less people on the road. Yeah. And it's really cool when you meet someone else on the road. Yeah, I completely agree. And have you traveled extensively, extensively for jujitsu? Like, have you gone out and gone to other places? It was a part of my life because I was traveling for work so much. And so mm -hmm. I would drop in in Texas or drop in in Los Angeles or Florida or Puerto Rico. I was just in Paris recently. My white friend, the Paris Marathon, oh, dropped cool. into a jiu-jitsu gym. Nobody spoke English. Wow. I was there by myself. I'm training jiu-jitsu. They're teaching the technique in French. <laughs> and, but it, we were speaking the same language with our with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know, I just find that to be so cool. Have you have you had the same kind of experiences? Dude, no, because I haven't had to. We were so spoiled. Everyone came to us. You know, True. like yeah. dude, I was in a room at like every day with a Ricardo Almeida, a Frankie Edgar, a Gordon Ryan, a Gary Tonin. Yeah. And when people would say, like, dude, you want to go travel? I, I would say, no. <laughs> Everyone's here. I, I travel yeah. for national parks to go hiking with my wife. Yeah. But I don't travel for anything else. Wow. That, that's us. I, th I saw on your website, Eddie Alvarez called you the Tony Robbins of Jiu Jitsu. I think that is a good. That's a very, that's a, we should, we need to label you the Tony Robbins of jujitsu and get, get you out there. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I hope so, man. He is yeah. a, he is an exceptional human. We went for yeah. a park walk probably like a year ago and all the things that we've read in our books. Yeah. He's learned through a different language, through fighting. He is a very wise dude. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's like, yeah. Cause Tony, Tony Robbins too is a, is a, is a very special person. Uh, with, with special, but, um, yeah, Eddie Alvarez, what a, what a talented guy. Oh man. He's a very, very interesting career to watch, but he was so dominant and yeah. just a really, really great technique. Yeah. And dude, the, the MMA game, like it, it chews you up and it spits you out, you know, like very few people can have a long career in MMA. And when a Ricardo Almeida, when a Eddie Alvarez, when a Frankie Edgar do it, it's like, 
pay attention, figure out what's making them successful. And hopefully you can have a long career in business. Yeah. You know, yeah. work the way they fight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, before we, before we wrap this up today, I just wanted to end with kind of just getting into the weeds a little bit on jujitsu, like Please. actually the jujitsu. Are there any like principles or, or learnings that you really fall back on that you, that stick out in your mind? Like, for example, you know, there's the principle of no arm, you know, two arms or no arms, you know, you take two <laughs> arms out, you put are there principles? Is there a principle that sticks out in your mind that has really impacted you in your writing, like through the lens of jujitsu? So, I always kind of took the approach to jujitsu as when you are training with a peer, you're going to spend most of your time in the guard, whether on top or on bottom. That's just how it works out. So, I spent a large percentage of my time hyper focused on guard and guard passing because I feel like. If you get those two things right, everything else will take care of itself. If you have an impassable guard, you're not going to get submitted. And if you have great guard passing, you're not going to get submitted. You're not going to get reversed. And I spent a lot of my time there. And within those, it becomes pretty simple, right? Like guard passing at its root is trying to get head to head. And guard playing at its root is not letting them get head to head, resetting the position as much as possible and using their excessive movements to sort of actively reactively off balance and sweep. So mm. I've kind of looked for like, what is the bare bone principle? Cause one of the things I get really excited about is like, I'm not going to train very many world champions. It's just, it's not what I'm here to do. I am here to help your average 42 year old dude become a really good purple belt in jujitsu. So mm. You want to pave the path and make it as explicit and clear as possible. So I tend to like this week we're doing side control and I will try to hone it down into guys. If you just focus on this one thing, everything else will take care of itself. And I guess in the context of writing, I've tried to be equally simplistic in like, let's just get this one thing right. Like back to Stephen King, he said, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of those in my writing. It's always <laughs> robotic. It's very just point A to point B. And yeah. I didn't even realize it until this conversation and you asked, but dude, that's the way I do jujitsu. It's mm. what is the minimum viable product to achieve the goal? And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then I just realized that that's exactly what I do with writing. So thank you for that revelation. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, I'm so grateful to meet you. I just want to tell you and, and everybody listening that um, when I was starting this project I, and, and reading your books, you were one of the people that I wanted to talk to. And, uh, and I didn't have a chance to reach out to you yet. But when you start down the path of what you're supposed to do in life, the people you start to attract the people in that you want to be around anyway. Yes. And um and, uh, and, you know, you got to know me today through this conversation, but I've known you for the past couple of years through your writing. And so, um, you know, I already feel like I know you a little bit also. And now, now we just get to, to build that rapport, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. So thank yeah, you so too. much, Chris, for being on the show and being a part of this podcast. And I have a lot of your quotes pulled out in my notes for, for my upcoming book. So I'm oh, excited bro. to. Uh, well, I, I know we're short on time. Can I ask you one question? Sure. All right, because you're the business guy and I am an emerging business guy. So yeah. I kind of have this belief that we have won the capitalist game because 
Naval Ravikant's idea that you become the best in the world at what you do and you keep changing what you do until that's true. And the only way we're going to do that is pursuing what we find meaningful. So mm. I kind of feel like we won the capitalist game and that all of our businesses or at least what we want it to be, they're all centered around our personal development. And the more we grow along our own path, the better our businesses will be. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, business like jujitsu is all about constant improvement and elevation. The moment that you stop growing, you you die. You stop doing it. Yeah. If you if if you keep going back to the well in jujitsu in business, whether it's back to the same customers over and over again, back to the same vendors, at some point. Someone's going to come and figure that out really fast, and they're going to out-innovate you, beat you at your own game, out-compete you. It's kind of like in jiu-jitsu, the blue belt who never who never grows up to be a purple belt. They're yeah. the forever blue belt. They're yeah. on and off the mat, on and off the mat, and they, they're not bad. They can handle most white belts, mm -hmm. but other blue belts come and pass them by and become purple belts, yeah. and they don't know why. They just, they, they, it's like, you know, there's a, a term I use sometimes in business and, and jujitsu called an ask hole an A S K H O L E. It's somebody who constantly asks for advice, but they yeah. never take it. Oh yes. So they just always want to ask, 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 ask us. They're not afraid to ask questions and everything in life is on a normal distribution. You know, you have, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do this. You want to come right <laughs> down the middle and you have the people, like, I think asking questions is great. But don't just keep asking, 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 and never growing. Yeah. And I think that com comes down to the heart of, of this issue that you're talking about of growth. And as it relates to us as a, as a total economy and like coming becoming the best capitalists, well, China's economy is getting bigger than ours. Mm -hmm. uh, if not already bigger, it's going to be multiple times the size of us. Their population is growing faster. And even though they're a communist society with the capitalist inclinations, yeah. our capitalism has rules and all yeah. rules can be exploited. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I also love about jujitsu is, is the eternal problem solving of this, of this problem, which is yes. you, you, you are presented with a set of rules and you have to figure out how to win because of those or, or in spite of those rules. So it's, they can put them on top of you and there's someone trying to outcompete you. So like, even though we've become the best, as we're saying that, um, China figured out a whole nother system, a whole nother way of doing things that may end up outcompeting us. And we may have to start to live with that reality. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. All right. I would love to do this again because we could pick yeah. up there through the lens of the hero's journey. Yeah, and sure. Talk about that process. That would be really fun. I would love to do it. And um, where, in your, where in New Jersey is your school? Let's do a little Google on this. I'm going to share my screen while I do this because sure. I actually spend a lot of time in New Jersey. I have two stores in New Jersey, Livingston, New Jersey, and um, and close to New Jersey. I think you might be in the south, in, though. Yeah, I'm in Florence, New Jersey. Let's see. Uh, You, Matakis Jiu Jitsu, Florence, New Jersey. Let's see where you are. Okay, so you are. Oh, you're 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 far. You're over all the way out west, and almost near Philly. 
Yeah. All right, cool. But not not too far for me to visit. My next stop is right over here in near the Brunswick's Marlboro. Okay. So how how far are you from Marlboro? Flight I guess probably an hour or so. All right, cool. Yeah. Good. All right, Chris. Well, once again, an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Thank you for you everything too, you do. Your writing means a lot to me, and I can't wait to read your new book. Bro, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate the way you interact with the world, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Be well.